This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Chris Hammer, welcome back to Better Reading. Oh, great to be back, Cheryl. Now, we've um, upped the ante here, haven't we? We've got a room and all very, sorts of things. Very Microphone. professional, oh, yeah. I know, I know. I think when you came, we were recording podcasts out on the table, weren't we? Yep, that's right. That was a few years ago. Was that the first book? I think it might have been Scrubland, so we've, yeah. we're probably going back five years. Yeah, okay. All right, Chris is a leading Australian author of crime fiction. His first book, Scrublands, was an instant bestseller when it was published in mid-2018. It has been sold into translation in several foreign languages and a television series based on the novel premieres later this month. His follow-up books, Silver, Trust, Treasure and Dirt and The Tilt, are also bestsellers and all have been shortlisted for major literary prizes. So he's here to talk about his latest novel, The Seven. It's a compelling thriller filled with intrigue, emotional depth and an evocative sense of place where nothing is ever quite what it seems. We were talking earlier before we hit record and I said, because, you know, I've been in this industry a very long time, so what I say goes, right, (laughs) that I haven't seen an author with a trajectory like yours. You had Scrublands, first book, first crime book, bestseller, and then every book after that has been the same. It's not normal, Chris. (laughs) It's very fortunate that it's happened like that because my writing process... I'm a pantser, so-called. Uh, I write at the, by the seat of my pants. So I start yes. with a setting and an yeah. idea, usually a crime, and off I go. So you would think if I'm writing like that, sooner or later I'm going to come unstuck. Yes. And I will one year. I know yeah, that. With your but, pants down. Yeah, that's right. The book will be terrible <laughs> and I'll be caught with my pants down. Exactly right. But so far, touch wood, so good. I think we're of an age where we can remember that ad. Do you remember hmm. that ad? Yeah. Um, okay, so we get, lot. you know, we reach a lot of readers and we've got a huge reading community, as you know, because I know very often that you've talked to them directly. But we have this program on Facebook, a live Facebook um, program every Thursday at 2pm and so people are interacting with us live and I think every single week somebody brings up Chris Hammer. Uh, I'm serious. Every single (laughs) week. In a good way. (laughs) In a good way. And every single time somebody talks about any of your books, they always say it's better than the last. It's even better than the last. Now, they've loved the previous one because they've read it and said it's even better than the last. So do you know what I mean? I mean, that is really unusual. I think I've been touring around Australia for the last month promoting Mm -hmm. The Seven. And after every event, you sit and sign books and people come and have a talk. The interesting thing is different readers will nominate 
different ones in my book as their favourites. Oh, wow. So different books appeal in some ways to to different readers. I think probably as a writer, the, The Tilt and The Seven, my last two books, are maybe more accomplished than, the, say, the first couple, Scrublands and Silver. Because of practice? Practice is structurally, they're more ambitious. Right. But, of course, a more complex, more ambitious book doesn't make it a better book because, yeah. you know, it's the power of the story, really, that's going to make a book work or not. Yeah. So I think maybe I'm getting better as a writer. Yeah. Doesn't guarantee that every book's going to be better than the one before. But I, I feel like I'm getting the hang of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah six because books I in. think when you're a good writer, you deliver the story better. I mean, it gives it that bigger punch, don't you think? I think you get more uh, sensitive to judging your own work. And, mm. you know, all writers are different. But I think one thing a lot of successful authors have in common is the ability to critique their own books. Mm. There's only so much an editor can do. Mm-hmm. They can't write the book for you, right? No. And they can only work with what they're given. It's up to the author to, to look at and And I think now one of the things maybe I'm better at is I see more quickly where it's not working. Yeah. And then I go, well, why is it not working? Or maybe I just drop this chapter or whatever it is, you get a bit more, your antenna of what Mm. works and what doesn't work probably gets a bit better. Uh, Do you like the editorial process? I don't mind it, actually. I know a lot of authors don't. I think a lot of early sort of career authors can work for years and years and years on this book and they've poured their heart and soul Mm. into it. So they get very protective of it Mm -hmm. when an editor goes, oh, I don't think that bit works or maybe we can lose this bit. It's a natural reaction. But what I understand is all the editors I work with, and they're they're all brilliant, all they want to do is make my book better. Mm. And so you're mad if you don't listen to them. And I quite enjoy the editing process. It's not as much fun as a bit where you're you're making stuff up and you're creating, but it's a very important part of, you know, you want to get the book as good as it can possibly be by the time it gets into the hands of a reader. Mm -mm. You're right. I mean, there are some authors that don't like the process, but more and more I'm speaking to authors that say what what you've just said, that, yes, it's when they get their first corrections back, they're like, oh, my God, but they really value the process in terms of... I mean, that's the point of a publishing house, right, is to make that book the best it can be. Mm. That includes editors, salespeople, marketing people, everybody. I want to go back to book one and I want to just remind me the transition from being a journalist to being a writer. And when you were a journalist, were you writing long form then or was that something you inspired to or talk to me about the transition? Because long form and short form, I mean, very different. In, uh, in journalism, I'd moved from doing daily journalism and I had two long stints working for Dateline and SBS television. Uh, so they're, they're long form programs, 25, 30, 35 minutes. Mm. And the thing about us you've got to tell a story and mm. you've got to lead the viewer through the story because they can't go back and read the same sentence again, the same like with, mm. with print. I think that helped. And then I worked for the Bulletin magazine and I, was, uh, I wrote features there. So that really helped. The big stepping stone for me is I wrote two non-fiction books before I turned to fiction, um. The River and the Coast. And 
And it was my travels through Australia. Through The first one was my travels through the Murray-Darling Basin at the height of the Millennium Drought. So they call it narrative non-fiction because I'm telling a story. I'm not trying to be particularly objective. It's not an essay. I'm not trying to make a point. There's no index. There's no footnotes. It can be no, quite... No fact-checking. can be quite impressionistic. <laughs> a lot of fact-checking, Cheryl. Um, but... And I really got the taste then for writing. Right. But, you know, the books didn't sell very well, you know, as is typical for most Australian authors. I went back to work, you know, a proper job, and then I started writing the book that became Scrublands. I thought, well, I don't have the time or the resources to do any more nonfiction. I'll just try making something up. But in retrospect, I couldn't have written Scrublands if I hadn't written those non-fiction books, uh, right. and I couldn't have done them if I hadn't done those years of journalism. Mm. Those steps. Okay, so when you wrote Scrublands, did you feel that you had something? Because, you know, sometimes you talk to people on a movie, or you hear this, I don't know any people that work on movie sets, but I must read about it, where they say, oh, the, the mood was good, or it felt good being on that set, we knew it was going to be, or we felt that it was going to be a good film. Is that the same for you with writing? Did, did you feel at the time, I think I've got something? Yeah, I thought... And why that genre? Okay, they're two totally good. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm fair bolting that question <laughs> on the end. Yeah, in writing it, I was learning on the job. So I threw out hundreds of thousands of words wow. while I was trying to get the story correct. Mm-hmm. And part of that is that's a natural result yeah. of, in some ways, of being a panther, mm-hmm. making it up as you go, evolving the story as you go. But a lot of it was just me trying things that didn't work, seeing they didn't work, trying other things. But there was, by the time I submitted it first to an agent and then later to publishers, yeah, I thought, this is, um, yeah, this is good. But I still had, to be honest, my expectations were still that it would, maybe it would do as well or maybe a little bit better than the non-fiction books. Mm. Um, They were received well. Mm-hmm. The non-fiction books it just didn't sell that well. Mm-hmm. And so that was more or less what I was expecting. But I was pretty confident by the time I submitted it that it would get published, but no more than that. Mm-hmm. And there were bits of it. Yet Sometimes you sit down, you write. It can be on days where you actually don't feel much like writing. But it's that's something you do learn from journalism. It demystifies the writing process. You know, you can't not write if you're mm. a journalist. And some days where you don't really feel like it are the days where you do your best stuff. Mm-hmm. You sit down, you start writing, and then half an hour, an hour, and inspiration starts coming, the, the ideas come. So it's something I say to aspiring writers, in my opinion at least, writing doesn't come from inspiration. Inspiration comes from writing. And there were days there where I where I'd write something and I'd write a scene and afterwards I'd go, you know what? That yeah, that works. That's good. Do you know? I have recorded. I have spoken with over five hundred authors right over the years, and I learn something new almost every time. And that is the first time I've heard that. So you get inspiration from writing, not. Yeah. 
What's he? What, how does I, I he go the other way? I don't wait around for inspiration yeah. to start writing because yes. if the inspiration doesn't come, you don't write anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you think you, a few days that. later, you're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm blocked or I'm stuck. But actually, all you need to do is start writing. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. That's a great tip for aspiring writers out there. All right. So um, I just want to go to genre and then I want to talk about success. Why that genre? Why crime? Well, I decided to try fiction because, as I said, I didn't have the time or resources for nonfiction. Mm. My go-to reading, I always liked crime fiction, but my go-to reading was more, I guess, more literary or not the classic so much, you know, the book of the moment, that sort of thing. But I didn't think I had the skill to write a literary book and I didn't have an idea. You know, if you're going to write a literary book, what's it about? What's at the core of this book? So I thought, I'll try my hand at crime writing because it's all about the plot. Did you read crime? Now, I didn't, I don't think that now that it's just all about the plot, but that's what I think there. Yeah, I always loved, you know, the American hard-boiled detectives, the Raymond Chandlers, the Dashiell Hammett. Yeah, right. There were other people, you know, my holiday reads would often start with Michael Connolly. But a big one for me, I studied journalism in Bathurst, I did a degree in journalism in Bathurst in the early 1980s, and my writing teacher was a bloke called Peter Temple. Oh my God! Did you hit the jackpot or what? Yeah, he was. He was. He was a brilliant wow. teacher. He was teaching us not daily news. He was teaching us like magazine feature, newspaper feature writing, wow. and a brilliant stylist. So, if your listeners aren't aware, I'm sure most of you are. Peter Temple then went on and wrote the Jack Irish books, yeah. which were turned into a fantastic series on the ABC. And then famously his last two books, The Broken Shore uh, and Truth, they kind of transcend crime fiction. Yeah. So he hadn't written anything or hadn't published anything when he was teaching me. Oh, but right. when he started publishing the Jack Irish, because I knew him and respected him, I started reading them, enjoyed them. And then those final two books, of course, Show, he demonstrated how much you could do with a crime book. Yeah. And now I didn't think I could write as well as Peter. I mean, I still don't think I can write as well as Peter. Yeah. But it showed me that you, there's a lot you can do in a crime book. So I think that's why I thought I'd try my hand at crime fiction. Right. Oh, there you go. I want to go back to your point on plot, that you thought it was all plot. That's Let's talk about that because I think there are a number of characters in your books but one of them is the setting. One of them is, you know, the mood, if you like. Yeah. Mm. Setting is really important for me. And it becomes a character, doesn't it? It is. You know, I was saying I'm a, a pantser. I start, mm. really don't know where the story's going when I start writing, but typically what I realise I start with now is the setting. Yeah. Maybe some idea what the book might be about. And typically an event like a crime, you know, yeah. a body is found. That, yeah. And off I go. But the setting is there right from the start. And what I realise now is there's a whole lot of different elements that come together to make a good crime book. The setting, the plot, the characters, the voice of the story, how's it told, yeah. the emotional impact. If you get it right, if, if all those things come together, then the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Mm. But what I'm trying to do, if you like, is cast a spell. I'm going to build a world 
I'm going to invite you into that world. You know, set aside your daily wage. Come with me. I'm going to tell you a story in this other place. So, of course, the setting is important there because you know, I'm building a world. Even though it's very closely aligned to the real world, I'm still building the world. And that setting isn't just the stage because it's there from the start. It influences everything. It influences very much the voice I'm using, how I'm telling the story is influenced by that setting. Mm. So for me, it's absolutely integral. Mm. You just had me in the story. Mm. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now, I, I've been working in this business a long time, and as I said, I... Um, I've interviewed over 500 authors, but when I sit down to a book, I don't see anything other than the story. Like, I don't see, you know, I'm not the kind of person that reads a book and sees a typo or an editing problem or whatever. I am all in. I'm the same with movies as well and TV. I don't see people say, oh, well, the camera must have been there. Oh, what camera? I'm Because <laughs> I am in it. If it's good and if it's compelling, I'm in that world. That's, yeah, that's the book, sort of book I like to read, that kind of immersive yes. experience when, when you're in it. That's why the language is so important. Mm. That's why the sort of language you use in journalism you can't use because it's yes. too hackneyed. You'll break the spell if, if you use like cliche, the journalistic cliches of the day. So the language you use has to be appropriate and reinforce, yeah. you know, the story. Yeah. Mm. So when Scrublands was published, what did you anticipate? Like, because it must be, it's been life-changing, I guess. Talk to me about that. Look, I had some expectation that it would do well. Uh, not as well as it did. It, it went to number one in a fiction charts in Australia in its first week. Mm. And that's... And we hadn't seen that a lot then. No, that's, and that's for credit to Alan and Unwin. Yeah. Because they got the book out to key readers, you know, people like yourself, booksellers, reviewers, mm. and say, look, you know, we, we think this is good. I had some idea that it would, it would do a lot better than the nonfiction because I have an agent, Grace Heifetz, and she'd sort of organised an auction, a so-called bidding war, and a lot of publishers were interested. They bid a lot of money, and Alan and Owen ended up paying a lot of money for it. Now, that was life-changing, but, of course, having done that, they then needed to, you know, if you like, get their money back. So so they gave it a big push. So I thought it would do well, but I was was still surprised that 
it did so well. And then, of course, it was published internationally. It's published in all sorts of strange languages. There's this TV show that's coming out on Stan in November. I can't no, wait. And now, none of that. Of course, I didn't anticipate or no. expect any of that. Hey, talking about TV shows, Tim Winton said to me, it was only recently, a couple of months ago, I was speaking to him, and he said, oh, we were talking about his, because many of his books have been turned into movies, I think. Anyway, and I said to him, you know, how involved are you? What do you think of them? And he said, the way I look at what comes from the book, like, you know, whether it's a TV series or a movie, is like it's a cousin of the book. Yeah, I, yes, that's a good way of uh, yeah. putting it. I haven't had any real involvement with a series, and I'm happy about that. I'll yeah. leave it to the people who really know what they're doing. It's a different craft. What I think they're doing, they're reimagining the same story and they're telling it. So in, in Scrublands, for example, the story is told pretty much exclusively from the point of view of the journalist Martin Skarsden. It's not first person, it's close yeah. third person. But you can read what he's thinking. Yeah. You only have his impression of what other people are thinking and what their motivations are. But you can't really film a TV show like that. The camera needs to be a little bit more objective. And, you know, you can't see what Martin is thinking on the TV. So, of course, they've got to reimagine it. In some ways, you don't want them to be utterly loyal to the book no. simply because the translation won't work. Well, and just read the book. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And, but they've, I mean, I've, I haven't seen it all. I've seen the first episode. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's it's a bit out of body, like an out of body experience seeing these things that you've just cooked up in your own mind sort of acted out on screen. But here's the weird thing. It really sucked me in. I got a, <laughs> Into your own story. Yeah, I was waiting to see you know, what's going to happen next. <laughs> I went, oh, yeah, that's right, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you do know. Hey, do you know, that's funny you should say that because not very often, but occasionally I will listen to my own podcast, but that's because we're checking something. Mm. I don't like to hear my own voice or anything like that, so I don't, you know, mm. I love podcasts, but I, I tend to listen to other people's. But occasionally Jane will say to me, you know, go listen to this one. You've got to listen to this one. And... Do you know, and this is the truth, Like, and usually I'm walking the dog, I'm hearing the author and then I'm responding in my head and then I respond mm. and it's the same response. Yeah. It's so weird, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's it's, <laughs> it's natural if you think about it, yeah. I guess, I mm. guess, and I can't remember what my response is <laughs> and then I have the same response. Anyway, mm. madness, right? That's exciting though, getting that. Isn't it? Because, you know, there's so many options. Uh, so many books have been optioned over the years and, you know, hundreds of them never get, never see the light of day. I um, I was doing a, a podcast recently and one of the other guests was Garth Nix, you know, ama- yes. amazingly successful. Amazing. He's a great guy. And he was, yeah. he was saying that so many of his books have been optioned. Yeah. But none have made it to final production. He thought that the figure was... One percent or less of books that get option actually finally make it to screen. One percent or less. Yeah. Well, I've got to say we've got to be proud of our Australians then, because a few of uh, Australian crime writers are getting to screen now. Yeah, quite a few. Michael um, Robotham, yourself, yeah. Candace Fox, Candace Fox, uh, Josh Pomare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah, quite a few. Yeah. Uh, why do you think the Australian crime fiction stories uh, have an appeal overseas? I think part of it is just a, a 
they're interested in Australia. It's seen as a bit of an exotic place. Yeah, my books are published in the UK yeah. um, in January where it's really cold and, and wet and dark. <laughs> so people have no choice. <laughs> so, so, so maybe it's appealing. Yeah. The dry heat of the outback yeah. you know, sounds, sounds pretty good. I think for many of them it's exotic. It's a bit familiar. Yes. I think the small town type setting works globally too. Yes. So, you know, if I wrote a political thriller set in Canberra, that's unlikely to interest people who live in you know, London, Paris and New York. But a small town in the middle of nowhere mm. resonates with people. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Because it's kind of universal, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so is it a book a year? It has been a book a year. Talk to me about that. That's that's not easy. No. So, well, the first thing to say is, unlike most Australian authors, I have the luxury of doing it full time. You would have seen the statistics, I'm sure, Cheryl, that the mm. average annual income of a published author in Australia is maybe around $12,000 a year, right? Mm. So that means people are holding down full-time jobs and often as not, you know, have family responsibility, young kids, and then they're writing in, in their stolen hours. So that that's the first thing. That's my big advantage, if you like. I don't have to do a proper job and my kids are growing up. Mm. But the other side of it is... I'm addicted to it. I love doing it. It's mm. it's in some ways it's my job, but it just never feels like my job. Mm. So I'll get up and go writing. So right now I've been on this book tour and it's been quite hectic. So I haven't been able to do much writing and I'm kind of missing it. I'm getting withdrawals. I want mm. to get back mm. and make something up. And if you do a bit every day, well, lo and behold, a year goes past and you've got a book. Mm. Um, now at some point because of my writing method being a pantser, instead of the book all coming together at the end of that year, it's just going to fracture and fall apart and right. I won't have a book. But it won't be for want of trying. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just those two things, that just the time available to do it and just the uh, passion, the, jo- mm. the joy of doing it. Mm. You know, I spoke to um, Lee Child a few years back, who I really like. What's the main character in that book? Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher. I had a crush on Jack for a yeah. long time. Yeah. I don't anymore. I've just... <laughs> I don't know why I've moved on. Tom um, Cruise played him. <laughs> yeah, I think that might have done it for me. But either way, um, I love having crushes on characters. Um, back to Lee yeah. Child. He said to me, because I mean, I don't know, he's written squillions of books. Yeah. I don't know how many, I can't remember. But he said to me, it's equally as hard every single time you sit down and start writing a new book. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I don't know where it's going and I don't know if it's going to work. Yeah. So, so you know, I'm saying, I'm saying, you know, I'm, I love the joy of writing, but a part of me is lazy and a procrastinator. So it's a bit of a tension between panic on one hand and procrastination on the other. And, yeah, I kind of fear that will I be able to do it again? Mm. Now, I should be able to do it again because I have um, a degree of sympathy for the people who write a book and it's a big success, but it's a book about their own life, based on their own life or an incident they know well. And they might have spent years writing it. And then the publisher turns around and says, give us another one next year. And they don't have their life story anymore and they've got to make something up. That can be really hard, I think. Mm. But because my crime books are all made up, having made them up once or twice or, you know, six times now, then there's a certain confidence I can do it again. Yeah. But 
it's just whether I can bring, you know, I don't want to put out a second, uh, you know, uh, uh, an inferior book. I want all my books to be as good as they possibly can. Yeah. So there is a little bit, so I absolutely get what Lee Child's saying. Yeah. And it doesn't get easier in that regard. Mm. You might get a bit more efficient. You might pick up a little bit earlier where you're going wrong or if something doesn't work, all of that stuff. But the core job, making up a story that's compelling, that's pacey, and all the threads tie up at the end of that. Yeah, every yeah. time you start, you go, my God, how am I going to do this? Yeah. Do you know, from where I sit, I think you're mad to do that job because you... <laughs> I really no. do. This is my. This it's is why. It's the best job in the world, in, okay. to the degree I, where I've I don't got, even think of it as a job. I've it's a privilege, the, Chris. I've got the best job in the world. But yeah. do you know what I think? I think you're cooped up in a room. This is my version, right? You're writing wrong, and it's hard. Yeah, yeah. and it's hard. And you know, you're writing one thousand words or two thousand words, and then you know, you submit it to your editor, and they you know, get rid of 10,000 words and then there's that whole, you know, come toing and froing and then it finally gets published and then everybody has an opinion about it. I think that's hard. Yeah, you've got to celebrate the fact that everyone's got an opinion on it mm. and you realise that's the magic of books, mm. that, that, you know, when I wrote Scrublands, I thought, here it is, yeah. I've, this is a good book, it's all there. And then people start reading it, and the reactions are so varied. They are and so what varied. It, what it makes you realise is that they're and it, and it, this explains, I think, the resilience of books in this digital age. There's two creative processes. There's the bit I do as an author, and then there's the bit that you do as the reader. And everyone reads a book in a different way and interprets That's it differently. So true. That's, That's the magic of books, if you yeah. like. So the fact that everyone's got a different opinion, well, that's good. They should. Hmm. Um, I don't feel... Do you read reviews? Uh, occasionally. I, t- I tend to skip through them, yeah. get to the bottom, you know, the bottom line, <laughs> but not overly... I, I, the first week or two a book's out, I'm very, very anxious. Yeah. Are people going to like it or not? Is there some enormous hole in the plot that I haven't seen? You, know, you that should sort join of our Thursday yeah. afternoon at two because you'll find out quick smart. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm not. I, I mean, the the, um, the online review sort of, you know, things mm. like Goodreads and um, Amazon and things like that. Occasionally I'll look at them just to see because yeah. it's a bit of a proxy for how many people have read the book. Yes. But the individual reviews, no. Yeah. Um, because either either they're going to be really discouraging, yeah. or if they're in the middle, they're going to be bland, or if they're five stars, they're just going to be the praise is going to be so over the top it really doesn't you do you much it. good. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you when you're out doing the publicity, which is enormously mm. different to staying home uh, writing? I often feel not a lot of authors, you know, um, enjoy that transition because you know they a lot of people just like to be in you know, their room or wherever they work. So to go out and speak to readers is, is hard, you know. Do you pick up information when you're talking to people, when you're out and about, when you're promoting the book? Do you learn anything, do you think? Occasionally people will come up and, and point out some minor error, you know, like something I've got wrong. Is that like, useful? No, it's not useful. <laughs> um, yeah, it is fiction after all. Um, 
<laughs> See what I'm saying? It's a hard job. No, the, the reaction tends to be really varied. So I wouldn't say I learnt a lot from it, but I do enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I think pretty much most authors, if not all, are going to be introverts. Yes. In the sense that was the word I was. In the about. sense that that they live inside their own heads. Yeah. They have this own internal sort of dialogue. Whereas extroverts are, are you know, they they judge themselves by what other people think of it, all that sort of thing. But being an introvert doesn't necessarily mean that you're shy. So there are there are writers who are certainly really shy and reclusive, and that's why they're writers, and they find it a chore, mm. you know, to, sit, to go to a writers' festival and sit on a stage or something like that. I actually don't mind it. I, I, I quite enjoy it. I love meeting up with other uh, authors, mm. you know, because you spend so much time by yourself. Mm. I love that too, actually. Mm. It appeals to two sides of my personality. I'll go sometimes and just lock myself away mm. and not speak to anyone for a week or two on end, like mm. totally mm. solitary. But then I like the flip side of that too, you know, going to a writer's festival, getting out to, to hang out with my tribe. One thing in – like authors in Australia tend to be really generous and collegiate. I totally agree with that. And crime writers yeah. in particular. Oh, romance uh, you know, writers, yeah, the yeah, same. Yeah. You know, they're f- so generous with each yep, other. Yep. You know, I really like that. Uh, look, we're out of time, Chris. I mean, <laughs> what can I say? The book is called The Seven. It's book number six. six. Yeah. Congratulations and thank you so much for your time today. Ah, uh, It's great to be here, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.